Man, church, it has been a potent morning spiritually already, and I have a very strong sense that God's got something special in store. And I'm excited to journey with you and, and uh, just see what he does. We're in the midst of a series. My name is John, by the way, one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you today. We've been in the midst of a series on the book of Job. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? It's a peppy little book right there in the Old Testament, right before the Psalms and the Proverbs. We've been dialoguing on the unique challenge of suffering, hardship that the human experience inevitably brings to those of us stuck on this planet for whatever time frame we are. And we're sort of dialoguing on how do you navigate through the valley of suffering? How do you go through challenging, difficult seasons? Last week, Pastor Malik did a fantastic job talking about wisdom and the fear of the Lord. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you missed it, yeah, it was good. If you missed it, you missed it. Check it out on our podcast or our YouTube channel. This week, I sort of want to dive into, we talked a lot last week about God's suffering, and the question that I was left with is, well, what about, it's, it's great that God is sovereign overall, but what about when God's sovereignty leads to our suffering? Anybody else feel that tension? God is sovereign. You're like, I don't know how I feel about you then right now. What do we do with this interesting tension between the sovereignty of God and the suffering of humanity? And as we wrap up this series and finalize our Job series here, as we finalize this story, I'm really left with this core question. What in the world is the point of this book? What's up with the book of Job? So if you stand to your feet with me, we're going to hopefully resolve this tension by the end, but we'll be in Job chapter 42 at the very, very end, and as is my custom, I am donning the Miami Golfins garb because if we win this game, y'all, you know what I'm saying? There's a chance. That's what we always say. So you're saying there's a chance. All right. Verse one, if you got a Bible, flip there. If you don't, we got Sky Bible on the screen for your viewing enjoyment. If you're ready, say, let's do this. All right, then Job replied to the Lord. Now remember, this has been 20 plus chapters of Job yelling at God, basically. Telling God, God, to be fair, you're horrible at your job. I could do way better. God, get off the throne. I mean, Job has been cringingly raw with God. And God, he, he, he's, a, he's a grown man. He, he's perfectly fine with you coming at him with all the fuego you can muster and he responds right back to Job with candor and honesty. And this is Job's response after God responds. It says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, God, who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Anybody ever been there with God before? In the midst of it, you're like, God, what the heck are you doing? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, what are you doing? Don't you understand? And then you get to the end, and you're like, oh, snap. <sighs> my bad. <laughs> Job says, God, I, sh I surely spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And Job ends here. He says, and now my ears, they, they had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Sort of like what Zach said. He's like, man, I grew up in a faith environment and I had these experiences and I had heard about God and I had heard of God and my ears had heard of you. He said, but, but now, 
but now I've seen you for myself. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What in the world is the point of this book? And what is the purpose of suffering and hardship and challenge? Let's pray. Jesus, please make it clear. And I'm asking that by the end of our time together, as we dive into your word, there would be hope and faith and perseverance that would be stirred because of your grace and your great love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seats. As we begin our time together, I want to begin, as I often do, with a question. Have you ever had an absolutely horrible day? Anybody ever, ever had one? You're just like, can we just strike that from the record books? Like, can we just go? If there was a time machine, where's the technology at? Elon Musk, can you work on something? Can we go back in time and erase that day? Like, what in the world has happened? You ever just had a horrible day? My wife and I, uh, from early in our marriage, we had a dog. Any dog people in the room? All right, one time I see who aligns with heaven, okay? Um, and so my wife, we had a dog. And so our kids, most of their lives, had a dog. Her name was Bailey. She was a little boxer puppy. I had a picture of her up on the screen. Isn't she cute. She's so cute. That's Bailey. That's Liam with Bailey and Lucy with Bailey. Now, Bailey looks very, very cute. You show the next picture. She puts on a little pouty boxer face. There she is. Everybody say, aww. Bailey's no longer with us because she's in doggy heaven, um, but she's not always this angelic. Y'all dog people know what I'm talking about. I remember one day in particular, Nancy and I were at home. We were getting ready for bed. And, and I realized that earlier in the day, I had bought some fuel additive to put in my gas tank that makes the gas, you know, clean out and do all that kind of stuff. And I realized, I was looking around for it because I was going to do it real quick. And, and I was like, oh, Nancy, did you take the little fuel additive I needed? She's like, I didn't take it. Now, we didn't have kids at that point because that's always the next answer. So I was like, I'm pretty sure we don't have robbers or ghosts in our household. So what? And I was like, no, Nance, are you sure? She's like, I didn't take it. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I misplaced it. Went all around and, and I'm going and I'm racking my brain. And finally I realized there is one other living being in the household, Bailey. And I was like, oh no. Sure enough, I look on the floor where I would not have left it and I find the bottle. I look a little further around and I find the cap and we realize Bailey has drunken, drunken, drunk the entire thing. Thank you, Nancy, for that grammatical assistance. Nancy has drunk the entire thing of fuel additive. We call poison control. They're like, yeah, that's bad. I'm like, okay, what do we do? They're like, well, hopefully she'll pass it through. She, she did pass it through. That evening, we smelt the most horrendous aroma. I'm pretty sure we have now experienced in the last household what hell smells like. Burning fire and sulfur. It was like motor oil mixed with leaky diarrhea, mixed with nasty dog, all over. That was bad, right? But then it gets on the sheets. And then it gets on the clothes. And then you can't get it off. And it's like three in the morning. We stuffed Bailey in the crate halfway through the night. I'm like, listen, man, whatever. I mean, it was nightmarish. We're putting stuff away. We're dead tired. And in the midst of the insomnia of the moment, I realized that in addition to the sheets, I put my wife's iPhone in the washing machine and started it. And this is before iPhones were like underwater cameras. If it's underwater, it's dead. You ever had a day like that? 
Not like that, like that. But, I'm saying, but I want you, I'm, I'm telling this story because it's so easy to read the Bible like it's some ancient fable. It's a real story about real life, okay? I want you to think about your worst day. Maybe it wasn't toxic farts and motor oil. But I want you to think about your worst day and then juxtapose that with our boy Job. If you've been tracking with us over the course of the series, you'll remember that in one day, Job loses his business, he loses his savings, he loses his children, he loses his reputation, and on day number two, he begins to lose his health as well. I've had some bad days, but thank the good Lord, I've never had a day like that. Most of us probably have not. And yet, if I'm being honest and circumspect, I get in South Florida traffic stuck for a few moments and I'm tempted to lose all sorts of sanity and salvation that I've still got in my, in my soul. Is it just me, nobody else? Some of y'all are amen to me. Okay, sorry, right, you can say that. And yet Job loses everything and he still remains. And he stays and he sticks around imperfectly in his temper tantrum yelling at God, but he doesn't bow out. He doesn't quit. How? Here's why I think this ending culminating moment in the book of Job and really having a biblical understanding for the why behind this book matters so deeply because we live in a moment, we live in a culture, we live in a context where while we are taught many different things, we are not taught to suffer well at all. We do not live in a moment of perseverance. We do not live in a moment of, of long devotion in the same direction. In fact, we live in quite the opposite. We, in our modern culture and context, in Guyana, I'm guessing y'all can relate as well, we live in a culture of quitting. It's an age in which we live. The old adage, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, the response now would be, yeah, going home, peace out, see y'all later. Like, we don't do this anymore. We, we, we quit. We quit quiet. Most of the time, we quit loud. Some of the times, but we quit. We quit jobs. We quit friendships. We quit trying. We quit churches. We quit marriages. And if we're not careful, many of us have experienced the heartbreak of friends and family members who have flat out just quit on God. And I get it. See, because when you suffer, you are most prone and most likely to give up hope. And when that suffering is particularly acute or prolonged, the propensity in that direction goes even further. When we suffer, we're most prone to give up hope, to give into temptation, to give away your destiny for a proverbial bowl of beans, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau. And I really just have one primary point in the message this morning, and it is one phrase, do not give up. Do not, matter of fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell him, do not give up. Say, neighbor, do not give up. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him, listen, do not give up. James 5 says it like this, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion 
and mercy. James 1.12 says, Beloved, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 10 says, you need to what? Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Here's my premise and then we'll unpack this together. Your pain is never pointless and the purpose is your promotion and your call is to persevere. Your pain is never pointless. The purpose is your promotion and your call is to persevere. So how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Point number one, your pain is never pointless. So be as clear as the Bible is clear. I think we do need to be honest with the fact that there are absolutely perplexing questions in life and in the book of Job. The book of Job begins in, in chapter one with this curious interaction between God, the lover of our souls, and Satan, the enemy of our souls, in which God says to Satan, verse se- chapter one, verse seven, where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord, roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. God says, hey, have you checked out Job? There's no one like him. He's blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. I'm like, God, I don't want your encouragement that bad. You can just keep it under wraps. Like, what is up with this game of heavenly chicken between God, the devil, and Job in the middle of it? What a weird, what a bizarre, what a perplexing interaction. And we've mentioned this a few times, but I want, we kind of danced around it. I just want to go head first into it. We've talked about last week, God being sovereign, which means he is over everything. So if you're tracking intellectually, you're like, wait a second. So if God is sovereign, that means that God allowed it. And if God allowed it, then doesn't that mean at least via proxy that God actually caused it? Like, are are, are we just doing some mental gymnastics pastor to, to get God out of the culpability seat? Because it sure seems like if there's a big old God, then couldn't he have stopped it at any moment? If God allowed it, why don't we just go ahead and be more honest intellectually and say God did it? If God's sovereign and he allowed it, right? This is Job. We could keep it in theory, but let's, let's be more honest about our own lives. If God allowed it and he's sovereign... Doesn't that make him responsible? He could have stopped it, right? Think about in our modern context, all of the horrible things that happen with accidents and abuse and illness and tsunamis and tragedies. And if we don't look honestly and circumspectly at that question, it will continue to vex our soul, sometimes to the point where we say, God, I don't really even want to go there anymore. Peace, I'm out. But Job teaches us an important lesson, which is this. There are some things that you do not know now, but you will know then. There are some components and aspects of the story that you do not know now that you will know then. See, Job is unique in that most Bible scholars and commentaries are clear on the fact that Job was one of the earliest books that was penned. Job for sure had limited revelation of God. Job, all Job really had was, I'm here on earth, there's probably something bigger than me, so if something bad's happening, it's either me, and if it's not me, it must be God. Job didn't even have the book of Job, let alone, the, right? You guys make sense, right? He was living it, he wasn't writing it. Job didn't have the book of Job. Job also didn't have the entirety of scripture and the New Testament. And so in, under to un, in order to understand the principles of Job, scripture interprets scripture and we need to look in light of the full revelation of God's word. 
When you shine a New Testament light on Old Testament questions, you get clarity. Okay, John, so if God allowed it, doesn't that mean that God is responsible? Well, let's see what the rest of the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Luke 13 tells us that God is not the author of bondage, but of freedom. 2 Timothy that says that God is not the author of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. James 1 says God is not the author of temptation. When anyone is tempted, let them not say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt. God is not the author of any of those things. You're like, well, who is? Any guesses? The devil, right? Satan, the Satan, the enemy of our souls. It's not just spiritual boogeyman. It's real, very much so. You're like, yeah, John, but, but if God allowed it, isn't that the same as God ordained it? If God permitted it, isn't that the same as God caused it? According to the Bible, the answer is emphatically no. Because we know he's not the author of those things. If we're being truly circumspect, there are certainly mysteries in our little freeze frame humanity that we do not always grasp or understand, especially in the moment, which is why we've been given the beauty of Jesus, the image of the invisible God. If you find yourself in a moment where you're like, I just feel like God hates me, here's what you have to do. Step back, look at Jesus, remind you of who God is like and decide emphatically, oh wait, he definitely doesn't. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Okay, cool. Because if we're not careful, we begin to build theology off of our situation rather than viewing our situation through the lens of good theology. Y'all understand the difference? And we end up in all sorts of crazy places because we didn't start with his word. In my life, I, and maybe you can relate, I am so prone to worry, which is why we're reminded that this is a God full of compassion and mercy and your pain is never pointless. Listen to me, if you're watching online, if you're over there in Guyana, maybe here in the room, Job reminds us that if you're in seasons of pain and suffering, you still have a place in this book, but your pain is not pointless. We need to be as clear as the Bible is clear, which leads us to point number two, the purpose is your promotion. So read the story to the end. Look at how this story ends for Job in verse seven. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, remember Job has these friends and and they basically in stepping in to try to give whatever sort of well-intentioned or poorly intentioned advice, they basically end up saying, Job, you must've done something. He's like, I didn't do anything. And they're doing this. God, they're basically accusing Job of what he did not do. And God gets very upset with his friends. And God says to the friends, hey, listen, I'm angry with you because you have not spoken of me. What is right as Job has. So take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant, offer a burnt offering. Job will pray for you. I'll accept his prayer and I won't deal with you according to your folly. You, haven't, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So they go, they did what the Lord tells them. The Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Twice as much as he had before. 
it has happened on multiple occasions, probably more than on two hands that I can count, as I'm talking with someone, engaging with someone, praying with someone, dealing with someone, going through a season of suffering, and I'll ask questions like, hey, man, what can I do, or how can I pray? I, ha I have had and have people tell me, it's fine, I'm just a Job. I'm like, have you read the end of the story? <laughs> it turns out great for Job. Like, we get in this moment, I'm like, Job's story is not a tragedy in its entirety. Job's story ends very differently than if you were just looking at the middle of it. But when, it's suffering, when you're suffering, when you're going through hardship, it's easy to forget that hardship can be punishment or it can be preparation. When you're at the gym, it's easy to forget that hardship can be suffering or it can be well, microscopically tearing your muscle fibers so that they can build back stronger so that you can be in a better place at the end of the day and live a healthy, long life and end up having great, awesome life and family and kids and everything can turn out. It's hard to remember in the moment, right? No suffering seems pleasurable for the moment, but painful, but in the end, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Bible. If you read this to the end, it's a very different story. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's it, right? Is that all it says? Yeah, I know, life has been hard, you know, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yeah, life has been, you know, I've, I've been sitting here praying and it's been 17 years of prayer and fasting, still waiting on my Boaz, but many are the prayer, many are the sufferings of the righteous. Yeah, I know, I've been waiting for, but many are, is that what it says? What does it say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, Big butt, big butt in there, big butt. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. God's like, listen, in this world, you will have suffering, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we're not careful, we miss the butt. I, I scratched that from the recording or something. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? You gotta get the whole story. The purpose is your promotion, so read the story to the end. For we know that in all things, God works it together for, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in the suffering and hardship. And it's not because he wants to put you in spiritual time out and punish you because he hates you. He loves you. And he loves Job. And the story of Job ends so differently. If you read the story of Job to the end, it's a redemption story. There's healing and there's mercy and there's vindication and there's goodness and there's compassion and there's restoration. By the way, from last week, here's why we fear the Lord. Because God, full of sovereignty and power and might, is abounding in mercy and rich in love and full of compassion. And Job, who spent 20 plus chapters yelling at God, you ever have your kids yell at you about something and the whole time you're trying to do something nice for them and they have the most ratchet attitudes you could imagine and you're like I'm trying to do something nice now be honest how many of you at least got a little tempted to not do the nice thing because you never told them about it in the first place let's get real God is working out a redemption plan. You'll hear how it ends. More than double, everything for Job turns out incredible. And Job is yelling and screaming at God and saying, God, you suck at your job. And the whole time God's like, oh, bless you, child. And God ends the story blessing 
and redeeming and loving and restoring everything to Job, even in the midst of his exceptionally imperfect obedience. It's astounding. By the way, he did not just stop doing that with Job. That is who he is. He is the restorer. He is the redeemer. He is the repairer of broken things. In fact, that's why we're gathered here this morning, thousands upon thousands of years after this story, because he didn't just do it for Job. For so many of us in this room watching online in Guyana, he's done it for us, right? It's who he is. It's what, it's what he does. Your pain is never pointless. The purpose is your promotion. So read the story to the end. Don't call the movie halfway through and walk out of the theater. It's not over yet. By the way, I find this very interesting, and this is not necessarily a point in the sermon, but I, th I think it's a point for the sermon. It's very interesting to me that the whole redemption and restoration of Job happens when? After he forgives his friends. That'll preach. I feel like I'm just supposed to pause on that for a moment and say, if you've been finding yourself in a Job-like season and you're like, God, where are you at? What are you doing? God's like, I'm waiting for you to forgive so I can release my blessing because you're boxing me out right now. I'm gonna leave that one there. Point number one, your pain is never pointless. Point number two, the purpose is your promotion. And point number three, your call is to persevere. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not let go. Your call is to persevere. A couple weeks ago, month ago, two months ago, it's all a blur. We got to go tubing with our microchurch, boating and tubing, and it was an awesome time. My son, Liam, had never done it before, and Liam seems like a wild child. If you see him around church, he's running around full of energy, but Liam, as a classic firstborn, like myself, is actually quite calculated with his risk-taking. And so we were on the boat and Liam was, was excited, but he was nervous, like, I don't know. And, and eventually he got to go there and I have a picture of him afterwards. He was all excited. There he is on the left. That's Liam after the tubing thing. He was smiling and happy, but he, he did not go, almost went like, there was a lot of false starts while we were on that boat and he had to let other kids go first. So finally he gets on the tube with me and he, he gets on, I'm holding on, I'm holding on to him and I'm holding on the handles. And I said, hey, listen, son, this is about to be a little scary right? I said, but it will end awesome as long as you don't let go. For any of you that have tubed before, you know, like the temptation would be, you know, you're sitting there and you know, you're just in the calm water and you're like, oh, this is nice. And the boat starts a little bit, the line gets taut and you're like, okay, I can deal with this speed. And then you're going, right? I'm like, son, it's going to freak you out at the beginning, but dad's got it. Dad's got you. Dad's got your hands. It's going to end good, but you can't let go. Why? Because if he were to let go preemptively, he would experience the pain of the water rather than the thrill of the ride. Are y'all tracking with me? Liam lets out screeches of terror as the boat gets going. Just hold on, hold on, hold on. All I say, hold on, hold on, hold on. And guess what? Where's the picture up? Put the picture up one more time. And that face is a face of a little boy who trusted his imperfect father and didn't let go. Can I remind you of something? You're on a tube ride called life with a perfect father who has the whole trip mapped out and it's gonna be amazing. 
How do you know? Because he only writes one type of story, a redemption story. He doesn't write tragedies. He doesn't write horror movies. He doesn't write tragic comedies. He only writes one type of story. It's a redemption story. And if it's not good, it's just because it's not good yet. And all he asks is that in the midst of the line getting taught and the tube taken off and turns that you did not expect, that you trust him enough and his competence that he's over you and covering you and he's got your hands on the handles, all he asks is that you don't let go. And if you do not, it's going to end good. It's going to be so worth it. You're going to finish the ride with a smile on your face as you walk into glory because many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, whoo, y'all, the Lord delivers them out of them all. James 5 is an interestingly helpful passage in that it's the scriptural commentary on the purpose of the book of Job. James 5.11 says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen with the Lord finally. That's a key word there. We want immediacy. God promises finally. You've seen what God finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In the same section, skip one verse and it goes into the whole famous, is anyone among you in trouble? Translation, like Job, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Translation, like the end of Job, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Guess who that's like? Like Job, let them call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil and the prayer offered in faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they've been for, uh, guilty of any sins, he will forgive them. Like the context of the James call to prayer is the suffering and perseverance of who? Job. That's what he's got in mind which means we accomplish victory like Job in perseverance by doing what we're called to do in the scripture, which is pray. Are you sick? Are you suffering? Pray. Bring your pain to God. It's really astounding to me that at the end of this whole story in the book of Job, God says, hey, listen, my boy Job, he got it right. You're like, excuse me? Job, the guy who like spiritually cussed out God, for 20 plus chapters and threw a temper tantrum in the spirit for 20 plus chapters, he got it right. God says, yeah, why? Because he stuck around. Here's my call to us in application. Bring your pain and suffering to God. In the midst of Job's imperfect emotional temperament, which encourages me, by the way, because God knows if perfection is a standard for humanity, we have all failed that test already. We don't even have to wonder how it's gonna turn out. It's gonna turn out bad. In the midst of his imperfection and his raw and honest emotions, Job does what God apparently loves. He brings those raw emotions to God. In the midst of his clamoring, in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of his disgruntledness, he takes his disgruntledness in a God-facing direction and God is very okay relationally relating to Job. And at the end of it all, restoring. Your call is to persevere to persevere towards God. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, what does it say? We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you understand the tension of the moment in which we live? We live in a culture where giving up is literally vindicated and validated and championed. 
Man, is that hard? Is that relationship not serving you? Is that situation? And obviously the caveat is there are healthy boundaries and unhealthy relationships and all of that. But I'm saying the overwhelming cultural explanation for life is, man, just give up, just call it quits, just throw in the towel. And God says, you know what I love? A heart of perseverance, a heart that doesn't give up, a heart that trusts. Are there bad chapters? Yes. Mysteries? Yes. Is the timing clear? Heaven no. But here's a call, persevere, keep trusting, keep believing, keep reading God's word, keep clinging to his promises, keep showing up to microchurch, keep showing up to church, keep pressing into God's word, keep believing his promises, keep training up your child in the way they should go, keep praying for your kids who went astray, keep believing that God's gonna come through, keep believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, keep believing that God is the author and the finisher of your faith, keep being confident that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion, keep believing that your ability to make it is does not trump God's ability to permanently redeem if you'll just not let go. Come on. <laughs> you want to know the point of the book of Job? I feel like the overwhelming majority, I always say, you can say preach it, white boy. No one's ever said it, so thank you. <laughs> I feel like in what I've experienced of Christendom, and maybe your experience is different, but I feel like what I've experienced in Christendom is that the book of Job message is, are you going through a horrible situation in life? Well, great news, there's Job. And, that's it. Listen to me, friends. The message of the book of Job is not a message fundamentally about suffering. It's a message about perseverance in light of a God who is full of grace and mercy. Don't believe me? Look at the Bible. Read James 5.11 again. It says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Example, look at Job. You have heard of his perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Listen, if you're in the room watching online in Guyana and you've even heard yourself, your friends are looking at you right now because you've, you've been like, yeah, I'm just a Job. Job, that's the story of my life. Book of Job, that's me. Then you need to go ahead and James five yourself to life because the story of the book of Job is Job was a man beset by suffering, but he endured and persevered by the mercy of God in light of a God who is rich in mercy and full of compassion because if your story is painful... It might be a painful chapter, but it's not the end. And it might be a painful moment, but that's just because the moment is the moment. It's not the trajectory of the story. If God is the author and the finisher of your faith, he's writing a story and it ends in redemption. How do you persevere? You do what Job did. You bring your suffering to God. We're reminded in Job that God is very okay with your questions. He's very okay with your accusations, as long as you bring them to him. And then he'll lovingly roll up in your spot. I love how Zach described it. I started talking to God. He started talking back. Yeah, that's what the Bible says he likes to do. If we don't just talk about him, but we start talking to him. And I'm not promising you that the end of the day, all of your 
questions in pertaining to your suffering will be answered. I'm not promising you that you're gonna get all the answers you're searching for. I'm promising you that what's gonna happen for you will happen for Job. At the end of the day, Job did not get the answers to all his questions. Here's what he got, God. And at the end of the day, I'm telling you, the longing of your soul is not more answers to questions. That's why you got Google. The longing of your soul is God. And when you get God, you realize, man, weren't you so concerned about that thing? Listen, I got so many questions and I'm always like, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask God. You know what I'm gonna ask God when I get to heaven? How are you so amazing? Because he's incredible. I'm not gonna be able to think about anything else and everything in this life that was so hard and pertinent and pressing and, and, and so painful, all of a sudden is gonna drift away because he's so good and beautiful and amazing and loving. And this is the story of Job. Job suffers. Loses people he loves, experiences hardship, loss of career, financial challenges. We can find ourselves in this story, but the story is not just about, man, stuff stinks, deal with it. The story is about, and if you can remember that there's a God who's full of grace and mercy, you can persevere. And if you persevere, he's got a great ending to that thing called your life. Just keep holding on. I'm praying that we would emerge from this series with greater spiritual fortitude. I'm praying that we would culminate our time in this series saying, God, come hell or high water, I'm with you, and I trust you. Look at how it ends for Job in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He has seven sons and three daughters, Jemima and Kizia and Karen something. And nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as his daughters. And their father gave them inheritance even along with their brothers. This is bizarrely uncommon wealth and justice distributed across the gender roles. And after this, Job lived 140 years. Some of you are like, that sounds like a curse. Apparently it was good for this dude. He saw his children, check this, and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old. Some of y'all just named that and claim that. You're like, we're not that kind of church, but okay. And so he died old and full of years. Do, do you see it? Do you see it? Look at the heart and ability of our God. If you read half the story, you're like, man, why is God such a punk? If you read the end, you're like, dang, he is generous and full of mercy, rich in compassion and full of love. Exactly. That's the whole point of the story. Church, I'm praying that we would persevere. I'm praying that there would be something that wells up within us to say, God, no matter what comes my way, I'm with you and you've got my heart. And if it's difficult, if it's amazing, if it's incredible or if it's hard, if it's exciting and exhilarating or if it's terrifying, I'm not letting go because I trust you. And you've got my life and you've got my heart, church. Do not give up. You watch Avengers till the end of the movie, Thanos gets defeated. You watch Remember the Titans to the end of the movie, they win the championship. And you watch the story of Jesus to the end of the movie, he conquers death and resurrects from the grave. We know where this story is. We know where it ends. Don't give up. There might be painful chapters. You might be in a painful chapter right now. And I am so sorry. And I can relate, man. It has been a rough couple of years. Losing my dad. Leadership in a pandemic. Goodness gracious. 
And yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. It might be a painful chapter, but the story ends good. See, Job didn't know the whole story. And worship team, you can come up and we're gonna close in a second. Job didn't know the whole story. Job didn't even have the book of Job, but we know. Listen how Job, he he sort of prophetically bursts out in the midst of his suffering in chapter 19. He says, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. How did Job know that? I have no idea. But we know what this verse is about. He did not. Job says, I, I just, man, I, I got boils all over my body. Everybody I love is dead. All of my livestock is gone. But I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I, I, I don't know. He's, he's going to show up. He, he's going to come through. I, I, know that, I know that I feel forsaken. Many of the afflicted are the righteous, but the Lord, I know God's going to come through. I know he's going to show up. And oh, he did, friends. Job, if he only knew what he was saying, would have been thrilled with joy. Because what happened is this redeemer came and did indeed stand on the earth and his name was Jesus and he came and he took our sorrows and he bore our sufferings and the punishment that we deserved he put on himself and by his stripes we are healed. And he is the author and the finisher of our faith and he is the redeemer and the restorer and he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother and in the midst of our sufferings with our bad attitudes, great attitudes or anywhere in between, if we can just bring it to him. He promised he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Some of us have friends and when we hit pits and start complaining, they they peace out and quit on us because they don't want to be around negativity. You know what Jesus says? Bring it big boy, I'm here. I'll take all the negativity you got. Just bring it to me. Your frustration, your pain, your vexation, your hurt, bring it to me. Your, bur- your bondages, your burdens. Jesus said, come to me. Not all of you superstars, not all of you religious elite, not all of you guys that were getting recruited by every rabbi. Come to me. He said, come to me. Who? All the weary and heavy burdened. All that have nothing to offer me but their pain and sorrow. Come to me, all weary and heavy burdened. If you came this morning, you're like, man, I don't know what in the world I have to bring to God. Do you have weariness and heavy burdens? Yep. Great. Then he wants you on his team. And he said, come to me and I'll give you what? Rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Here's the joy of the call to perseverance in Jesus. I'm saying, hold on to the one that does all of the work. I'm saying, hold on to the one that made all of the promises. I'm saying, hold on to the one that loves you so much that before you even cared about him, he gave his life for you. And it's by his grace that we're forgiven. And you can trust him. Church, I'm praying that we would be a resilient people that we would learn from our brothers and sisters around the world who experience sorrow and suffering much greater than having to wear cloths on our faces or pokes on our arms or all these different things that in America we went crazy about y'all. And we would say, Jesus, I'm with you no matter what. No matter the suffering, no matter the sorrow. I'm yours and I won't let go. Why don't you bow your heads as we close out in prayer together. Lord, I'm asking that right now you would move in our hearts 
and that you would call us to faith, that you would stir us to hope-filled perseverance, that you would remind us of your goodness and of your mercy and of your love. Lord, that those of us who feel like we are in a spot like Job 20 through 41, we would be reminded of what you do in Job 42, that we can trust you, that we can surrender, that we can let go of weights and burdens because you love us and you're working, you're more competent than we could ever be at the zenith of our human achievements. you stir faith if you're here this morning and and you have quit or maybe you came here on the verge of quitting and this is your final Hail Mary towards God faith and spirituality and this morning you sense God tapping you lovingly on the shoulder saying do not give up I would encourage you with everything in my being to respond and say, okay, I won't. I'm in. How do you do that? We're going to end our service with some of our prayer partners up here. Come forward for prayer. There's something powerful about confessing with your mouth what you experienced in your heart. It, it makes it real. I'm telling you, it solidifies it in some way where you have a chance to walk out different than you walked in. You could request prayer online. You could do it there in Guyana. You've got a group there that would love to pray with you. A whole prayer room set aside for that very purpose. Respond in some sort of a way. Don't walk out the same way you walked in after having an experience because you can have an experience and you just let it fall by the wayside or you could take that experience deep into the soil of your heart and it bears fruit. If you sense God calling you, respond. Maybe you're here or watching online and you're not yet a Jesus follower. Maybe at some point you were in God and Jesus and faith and you quit. You, you quit on the God thing. You quit on the church thing. And, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today. I'll tell you why, because God loves you. And we love you. You haven't met me. I know, but we love you. And there's a family for you to be a part of. And there's a community that wants to support you through your Job-like challenging seasons and celebrate with you as God works it for good. And before you leave this morning, respond, respond, respond. Give God a shot. Don't just walk out. We're like jars with holes in it. We leak. Respond. Let God plug that hole. Seal it up in your heart before you go. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to ask our prayer partners, any of our microchurch leaders or serve team leaders, our prayer partners to all be up here at the front. We're going to have a bunch of people up here. If you would like to pray with someone for any reason or purpose, we would love to pray with you. And as soon as Zach and Kayla begin to lead us in this final chorus, you're welcome to come forward and let God solidify in your heart the work that he's begun. Let's worship together. You're welcome to come.
trust in your goodness we trust your word we trust your character we trust your heart we lean not on our own understanding we acknowledge you in our ways in our current moment and predicament and confess that no matter how terrifying gloomy confusing or disruptive the moment might seem you are the author and the finisher of our faith and you're authoring a redemption story Lord we place and firmly replace our lives back in your hand and we ask you to work do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or think or even imagine Lord I pray over your people that you would give us grace to endure grace to persevere that we would be those who don't just start running well but we finish well that we could say I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I've kept the faith Lord we lack the abilities in our own strength give us grace Give us strength. Give us clarity of mind and thought that we would not just zoom in on our current pain, but zoom out and see your faithfulness across our lives and be reminded that you are good. You are good. 